This morning's passage is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the king was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Providence Church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Gabe, and it's an honor to open uh, God's Word with you this morning. If you haven't already, um, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew 2, Matthew chapter 2, um, verses 1 to 12. That's where we'll be spending most of our time today. Um, but while you do that, uh, let me just add my welcome to Jared's. Um, it's, it's so fun to feast with everyone. Feasts are by nature a form of celebration. And today this feast marks what God has done in 2018 and looks with anticipation to what he might do in 2019. And I know that we've all started to make these mental lists of the things we want to do in 2019, right? Maybe for you, you want to exercise more or uh, make more art. That's one of my personal goals, to make more art in 2019. Or maybe it's just to eat less carbs, right? Like that could be your goal for 2019. But whatever your goal, we should keep in mind that God is the living agent in the world. God exists and has goals of his own. God has a plan for 2019, and I don't want us to miss it. And while we cannot know exactly what God has planned for 2019, I do think we can prepare our hearts to witness it. And so today, as we look at the story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, I want us to see this so that we can catch a picture of what it means to look for God in 2019. To truly catch a glimpse of what God is going to do, we have to look at what God has already done. And so in our passage, we're going to see three responses to God's work in the world. Three responses to what God is doing. And those responses, we'll see three ways of responding to God this new year. And those responses are this. Number one, indifference. Number two, hostility. And number three, in worship. 
And so um, let, me, let me start this way. Let me set the stage for this passage, right? So at the start of this chapter in Matthew, we catch quite a scene when a band of wise men or magi or better translated magicians come to Bethlehem looking for the king of the Jews, right? So we have a band of magicians coming to God's holy city to find the king of the Jews, in verse 1 and 2, we see just how these magicians come to the conclusion that the king of the Jews has been born. Read it with me in verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here we have a band of Persian and Babylonian Hogwarts students from the east, led by a supernatural star looking for the king of the Jews. It's quite a scene. And hearing this, Herod and the city of Jerusalem are troubled, as verse 3 says. And they're troubled for two different reasons. You see, Herod was troubled because he was the appointed king of the Jews. That was his official title given by the Roman Empire, right? And beyond that, Herod had this sort of polarizing reputation. He was known for doing some good things like building temples and cities. And one time he even built a mountain. This man literally built a mountain, right? Like that's incredible. But he also did some very bad things. He was kind of a power-hungry guy, And so naturally, Herod was troubled when a band of magicians came looking for the king of the Jews. And I imagine that interaction going something like this. We have come looking for the king of the Jews. And then Herod would kind of step up in his clout and he would say, here he is, it is I, the king of the Jews, right? And then the magicians would turn and be like, no, not you. We're looking for like the one the star has led us to, not you. And so... Herod would be deeply insulted by this, right? They were looking for the true and everlasting king, but Herod was only the appointed king, right? So Herod was worried for his authoritative title, the king of the Jews. And so he starts to scheme a nasty plan. All while the city is troubled, right? The city is troubled as well. And that is because they had heard stories of this prophesied king all of their life. They had studied them. They had memorized them. They knew their history books inside and out. They could read them backwards and forwards, upside down and right side up. They knew lots of facts about the Bible. These are the people you wanted on your Bible, like trivia quiz night, right? They, of all people, should have known that the true king of the Jews was amongst them. Yet, It was this band of magicians who had come from far away, following a star, not a scripture, asking for the king of the Jews. And yet they knew nothing of it. The people of Jerusalem knew nothing of the king of the Jews. And the city was worried that they had missed something in their scriptures. And the story goes on, and in response, Herod assembles all the scribes and all the elders, and he asks them where the king was to be born. And they quote Micah 7, because they know the scriptures inside and out, backwards and forward. Would you read it with me in verse 6? It says, And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall, or from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." They were wise enough to deduce where the king had come from, but they couldn't quite 
catch that he was actually there with them. And so they go off and continue reading their books, all while Herod sets up a secret meeting with the magicians, right? And he asks this question, kind of like an evil villain, when did the star appear, right? Like that's how he's asking this, like an evil villain. He's, he's scheming and planning, trying to calculate when and where this child was born so that he might get rid of him. And from here, Herod wishes the magicians good luck on their journey. They go their separate ways. And Herod says something that is just so deceivingly evil in verse 8. He says, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and kill. I mean, worship him, right? (laughs) Like that's the attitude Herod has towards this other king of the Jews. And so the magicians go looking for their king, and Herod goes off to plot his nasty plan. All while the city of Jerusalem has grown strangely silent. No one is curious as to if the king has come or not. No one wonders if what the magicians have said is true or not. They just go back to reading their books. And it's from this story that we find our three responses to the king. Our first response is in line with the people of Jerusalem, and that is indifference, right? You see, the the people of Jerusalem, although they had knowledge, didn't really care to come and worship the true king. You would expect them to be leaping at the opportunity to meet the king that they'd been waiting for, but they had no desire. They were content with their history books. They were content just reading about the Savior, not actually meeting him. And uh, I was imagining more kids in the room, so bear with me on this example. If you're a kid in the room, this is sort of like a writer from Paw Patrol. Do you know Paw Patrol? Yeah, Paw Patrol. Just imagine if I said Ryder was downstairs right now. Would you like to go and meet him? Right? Or if you're an adult, this is like me saying like, hey, Nick Cage, the famous Nick Cage, is downstairs right now. Would you want to go meet him? I know it's kind of a mixed emotion thing for us. <laughs> And then you just sat there, right? You didn't care. You're just like, eh, whatever. That is what the city of Jerusalem did to King Jesus. They didn't care. They were indifferent, which is a word here that means they didn't care, right? In our life, we can be indifferent towards King Jesus. We can treat him like a good idea or a nice story, but he's so much more than that. He's the king of the world. But sometimes, if we're honest, we just don't care. We come to church and we hear about the king. We read about the king in our Bibles, but we just don't care. Maybe you feel as though you've heard it all before. And so for us in 2019, would we not let our preconceived knowledge of God blind us to the innumerable realities that are possessed for us in Christ? There's a scripture in John 5 where Jesus says very clearly, he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. It is very easy to let scripture get in the way of Christ. Hear me, hear me correctly there. I'm not saying Scripture is wrong or bad. I think it's very easy, though, for Scripture to get in the way of Christ. It's easy to let doctrine overcome and overshadow the divine revelation. 
You see, whether you read your Bible a lot and miss Christ or don't read your Bible at all and miss Christ, you're still missing the bigger picture. You're missing Christ. We see this in the city of Jerusalem. They miss Christ, although they need the scriptures. And today we can be the same. We can miss Christ. The issue isn't how much you read your Bible. The issue is missing Christ. And so maybe your New Year's resolution is to read your Bible more, which is a good and honest resolution. I would urge you to pray as often as you do read your Bible that you wouldn't miss Christ in the Scriptures. For all of us, though, would we not miss Christ because of our indifference? Would we not miss Christ because of our intellect? Would we not miss Christ because we think we have it all figured out? Would we not miss Christ for the sake of some other thing that has captured our imagination? Would Christ capture our hearts and our minds in 2019? Would he reveal himself through his holy scriptures? And would he reveal himself in our world and through our communities? Our first response is indifference, and the second is like it. The second is hostility, which still rejects the rule and reign of Christ. Our second response to Jesus can be one of hostility, which is a word that means unfriendly or not nice. King Herod was interested in the true Jesus, but he was only interested because he wanted to get rid of him. He wanted to make sure that he was the only king in town. And so the news of the true king, and with this news, he hatched a nasty plan. He was going to kill all of the children who were about the same age as the king. That was his nasty plan. Herod was a nasty guy, and if we're honest, if we turn the mirror on ourselves, we can be quite nasty people too. We can come to Jesus with bad motives, wanting to use him, wanting to control him. King Herod wanted his reputation to shine, and likewise, we can come to our Savior looking for such a reputation with little concern for the true king. We can come and pray and ask and read and give, hoping that we can be a king or queen. But in those moments, we're more like King Herod than like King Jesus. We want to be the only king in town, the king above all other kings, the king that all other kings serve. And so this new year, would we fight the temptation to be the king of our story? Would we fight the temptation to be the hero of our story? This is exceptionally hard for us who've grown up all of our lives hearing that you can be whatever you want to be, right? I'm sure you heard that as a kid. I did. If you put your heart and soul and strength into it, you can be whatever you want to be. And to some degree, that is true. We have the power to control um, certain aspects of our life, like our responses and how we react to things. But there is an unhealthy level of self-reliance that we can exhibit as humans, if you know what I mean. And so we have these, these industries, right, of goods and fashion that help us achieve our kingly dreams, right? A lot of marketing today is based on making you the hero so that you will buy more of whatever company's products, right? So take, for example, Nike's logo, just do it. Or Home Depot, you can do it and we can help. Or even Red Bull, it gives you wings, All of these slogans are angled at making you the hero of your story and circumstance. All of these slogans want you to feel like King Herod, large and in charge. But you don't see many advertisements saying honest things, right? Like, try your best, Nike. Or, you can't do it, but we can, Home Depot. Or Red Bull, 
is just sugar, right? (laughs) You don't hear honest slogans. That's not what sells. And unfortunately, the church has bought into this type of thinking as well. If I were to write a hero slogan for the church in 2019, it would be, if you're a Christian, your life will go really, really well, and you won't experience any pain. But that's not true. A more honest slogan would be, if you follow the king, you get to be with the king through suffering and celebration. And so this year, as we make our resolutions, would we realize that our need for a king surpasses our need to be king? Our need for a king is greater than our need to be a king. Satan would try and dupe us into believing that we can be the kings of our life and the masters of our own destiny, but that is only a half truth. You see, we have the power to choose, but we do not have the power to save. Only Christ has the power. We have the power to choose, but only Christ has the power to save. Our need for a king is greater than our need to be king. And as we've seen two negative responses to the king, indifference and hostility, let us look at the final true and pure response to the king. Our last response to the king is expressed by an unlikely people. It wasn't the religious insiders or the Roman appointed leaders that were the first to come and worship Jesus. Rather, it was the magicians from a foreign land. It was the Gentile magicians from a foreign land. It was the guys who smelled like incense and small, or followed a star. It was the dudes who traveled a great deal and gave up much in pursuit of the true king. And when they finally found him, look how they respond in Matthew verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshipped the true king. This ragged bunch of wizards who had grown up learning all kinds of crazy stuff about stars and philosophy and magic fell down and worshipped the true king because they had seen him. The people who were probably the last expected at the Messiah's birthday party were the first to fall down and worship him. And from this we can see two things. Unlikely people will come and worship Jesus. In 2019, the same is true. Unlikely people will come and worship Jesus. That's part of God's plan. Unlikely people will come and worship him. It's not going to be the best dressed or the best versed or the smartest people, although those people aren't excluded. But we do know unlikely people will come and worship Jesus in 2019. And the second is like it. The only appropriate response to the true and everlasting king is worship. When you see him, when you see Christ, right, when our scriptures point him to him, um, all we can do really is worship. In a sense, that is the goal of all of life. The Magi traveled far so that they could worship him. Jesus became a man also that humanity might come and worship the true living God. And the point of our life in Christ is the same, to honor and glorify and worship God. And as we say around here, you've probably heard it said in your city groups or on stage, everybody worships, right? The city of Jerusalem worshipped their books. King Herod worshipped himself. And the Magi, with the light of Christ shone on them, worshipped the true king. 
And for you in 2019, you have a very real choice to make. Will you worship your books? Will you worship yourself? Will you worship your intellect or your clout? Or will you worship the one true and everlasting King, Jesus? And so um, with that, let me, let me pray for us real quick. Let me pray that God um, would push this deeper. And then we're going um, to take communion, which I'm really excited about because we're going to do it in a really fun way. That sounds scary, but it's not going to be. Um, Father, Lord, please, this year in 2019, would it truly be the year of our Lord, God? Um, for us personally, individually, would you help us to live authentic lives that worship the true and mighty King, Jesus? Lord, would we be able to see him in all of life, God? Would, um, would our time in the Bible this year push us towards Jesus? Would we not miss him for um, all of the intricacies of your word, Lord? But would they point us truly to King Jesus? Because that is what it is all about, Lord. In our jobs, in our workplaces, would you reign fully, God? Would you help us to repent from trying to be the king of our lives? And would you reclaim the throne uh, of our heart, Lord? We long for you to do this, and we know that you have so much more for us in 2019. Would we not miss it? In your holy name, amen.